Saints, we want to continue in our uh, look at union with Christ. This, by no means, and you'll think that this might be the last one because of the subject that we're going to consider this afternoon, is going to be the last time we consider union with Christ. But uh, we're going to consider one more aspect of union with Christ uh, uh, after um, not after next Sunday. Uh, and then we will embark on a study uh, on Christology and its relation to the Lord's Supper. Um, but we want to consider, again, a new, another aspect, or rather a benefit, not an aspect, we would say a benefit of our union with Christ. I mean, we've been learning about all these benefits. I like to think of it as you uh, you get the job, and then, you know, when you when you get the job, you kind of already know what the benefits are, and then the, the boss tells you, well, you know, you also get X, Y, and Z. Uh, and you say to yourself, wow, uh, no, this is a great gig, <laughs> this, this job that I got. So with regard to us being united to Jesus Christ, right, um, is there more to be united to Jesus Christ than really just us having our sins forgiven? And not to say that that's a bad thing or a minute thing, but rather we want to, we want to expand our minds, right, and our thoughts, but also our love for God, Right, who has given to us his son, Jesus Christ, and then subsequently given to us the spirit who's united us to Jesus Christ. We want to know all of what it means to be in Christ, in Christ. Right. And that's really just what I'm trying to bring to the table. What does it mean to be in Jesus Christ? <clears throat> this afternoon, like I said, we want to look at another benefit of union with Christ. And it's going to be a, a twin benefit, really. Um, but mainly, it's going to be glorification. Glorification is going to be th- not the main thing, but where we're, where we want to go, where we want to go, where we want to go. We've considered union with Christ and the benefits of justification. That is, because of Christ, now we have a right standing before God. We are in Christ. Christ uh, the Father sees us in His Son. We looked at sanctification, right, where. We are not being conformed to the very one whom we are being united to, or were, or is united to, Jesus Christ. So there is a, a likeness, right, by which Christ takes what he has in his humanity. And similarly, as, you know, we talked this morning as uh, the blood drips down to the from the altar, right? Well, Jesus Christ, all of his grace that he has in his humanity as the head of the church, dripples down to us, the members of his body. And then we looked at the adoption of our union with Christ, right? And we saw that we are we are adopted sons and daughters of God by grace in the natural son of the Father. So in the sonship of the natural son, the eternal son, Jesus Christ, we then are considered a child of God. We are considered a child of God in the son, Jesus Christ. Now we want to consider glorification, glorification, which would be for us the height of our Christian life, our Christian experience. I mean, we looked a little bit this morning, Pastor Antonio did, um, about the end goal of those who are not united Jesus Christ. The end goal and the end goal of the cosmos. But what's the end goal for the Christian? What's our end goal? What's the end game? Before we examine glorification, we must examine the doctrine of preservation. Preservation. The doctrine of preservation. Saints, if someone was to ask you, 
Christian, what does it mean to be saved in Christ? What would you say? What does it mean to be saved in Christ? Because frequently we, when someone asks you, are you saved? You go to reply, yes, I'm saved. What does it mean to be saved, though? What does that mean? There has been a tendency in theology to so stress the importance of the finished work of Christ, that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we lose sight of the ongoing work of Jesus Christ. So we so stress what Christ has done for us in the past to the point where we don't consider what Christ is doing for us in the present. What is he doing for us right now? In other words, Christians, when they say they are saved, they only mean, typically mean, in the past tense of the word saved. But what happened over 2,000 years ago in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ encompasses everything of what it means to be saved. And yes, indeed it does. But we also must account for us presently being saved and us future, in the future, being saved. Again, we must account for our past experience of being saved, our present experience of being saved, but also that God will save us, that he will finally and ultimately save us. So you can think of it like this. Christ has saved us, he's presently saving us, and he will save us. That's what it means to be saved in Christ. Let's consider the doctrine of preservation. Preservation, our perseverance. I'm going to be saying preserve, preser- uh, preservation, um, um, all um, you know interchangeably. So we are being preserved in Christ, and what that means is once we are joined to Jesus Christ, He continues to hold us close to Him and promises to never let us go. You can think of preservation, and, and you guys can. I mean, we can think of a creaturely analogy, right? To better understand this, if you were to make something, um, uh, I don't know, let's say some fried chicken or whatever, right? You make food, and what do you do in order to preserve the food? You put it in something, right? And that something that you put the food in has the power in it to preserve the food, right? And then also you put it into a fridge. And the fridge then also has another power to preserve the food for longer than two or three days. So we know something about preservation, right, from a creaturely standpoint, because we do it all the time. I mean, you drink water, you put the cap on the water bottle, you're trying to preserve the water, right? Well, saints, think about that, though, in relation to your Christian life. That you right now currently are being Pers- uh, 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 pers- pers- uh, holding tight, I should say. You're, you're being held tight in Christ by the triune God. You're being preserved. He promises to never let us go. And as Christ preserves us, he perpetually, as in, so when we say Christ preserves us, that is, think of your Christian life right now. He's preserving you. He is perpetually, everlasting, every day gives to us himself, and he continues to mediate the blessings of that which you have already been partakers of. Now, that is an important distinction we must make, because 
You are already justified, sanctified, glorified, adopted, all those things in Christ right now, presently. But what Jesus Christ does for us, as he's preserving us, is he gives to us those blessings, those things that you've already partaken of. For example, although we are justified in Jesus Christ presently, you can't be more justified than you are already now. Christ continues to uphold our justification through daily forgiveness and his everlasting intercession. Though we are sanctified in Christ, we continue to grow into an everlasting and ever-increasing conformity to his image. And although we are adopted in Christ, we continue to grow into what that means. What does it mean to be adopted in Christ? To be blessed sons and daughters of God. Let me give you a formal definition of our uh, preservation, our perseverance in Christ. One theologian says, preservation in Christ means that all those united to Christ, so all those who have faith in Christ, will never be separated from him. And being uh, preserved by him, they will persevere in enjoyment and manifestation of the abundant blessings of salvation in him. Now that is a great truth. I mean, if you do not know that, saints, and that's the first time you're ever hearing this now, when we sing, he will hold me fast, that is not by analogy. That is not a metaphor. God will literally and is literally holding you together. He's holding you in your relation to the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, who was made man for us in our salvation. God is literally <laughs> holding you tight. God is literally holding you fast. <clears throat> As this doctrine of, of preservation in Christ uh, um, is just another way of what you might have heard before that's very popular amongst the Reformed. It's going to be the perseverance of the saints. You might have heard that before, the perseverance of the saints. I'm arguing something along that line, but also I want to nuance what the perseverance of the saints is as well. Both of these terms, preservation and perseverance, rightly understood, are both helpful descriptions of the biblical truth that our salvation in Christ is totally secure. That our salvation in Christ is totally secure. Now, it's important to note, saints, that when we speak of preservation... We are first and foremost, and we must first and foremost, highlight the Godward side of perseverance. The Godward side of perseverance. Because many times when we think of perseverance of the saints, we might think of man in and of himself. What man has now the ability to do, because they are now um, graced by God and given the Spirit. But we must first and foremost, again, think of what God is going to do. What is God going to do? And friends, this is the reason why um, we persevere in faith in the first place, right? Our perseverance is not upon our own strength, but rather God will never lose us nor forsake those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so when we think of perseverance of the saints are, are, are being preserved in Christ, we're speaking of what God will do. And then rightly understood in light of that, we think of man. Man in relation to perseverance of the saints. And that is man then, um, those who are united to Jesus Christ, will never finally fail. 
Not that you won't fail, but you won't finally fall. You won't finally fail in the work of salvation that has begun in us. And that's important to note, that when we say perseverance of the saints, it doesn't first and foremost mean that in and of ourselves, apart from grace, we will persevere to the end, or in and of ourselves, right? You can't even say that. Ourselves, as grace individuals, we will persevere. Because we have now this grace that's allowing us to persevere. That's that's not how we're going to think, because that is then man-centered, right? That is then God giving us a boost of divine aid, and then saying, you go on and do what you got to do. Right? But rather, saints, what we're saying is that by the grace of God, he will preserve us in Christ. By the grace of God, he will preserve us in Christ. And I'm also not negating either that the grace that God gives us allows us also to persevere. But it is God, right, who enables us to persevere. So rather, so when we say we are uh, persevered, uh, we will persevere, we're saying that we are being preserved in Christ. Therefore, we will persevere in Christ. And what this means, saints, um, is that we will not go on then and keep on sinning. And since God will preserve us, it's okay to sin more. That's one of the big objections to the perseverance of the saints, right? Is, well, if you believe that God will preserve you, then you can go on and do what you want to do. Since God is going to preserve you till the end. But saints, what we we're actually saying is that God so preserves us in Christ that we live lives that actually reflect the effect of that perseverance. And that is that is something that I, I growing up reading all these various Calvinists and reading, you know, the perseverance of the saints, they never they never spoke about that though. That your perseverance in Christ, right, the effect of that is living a holy life. It's living a life of perseverance. It's living a life of perseverance. <clears throat> it says we must not then divorce perseverance with holy living. A lot of times, and it's it's strange, when, because I went back and listened to a bunch of stuff. When people think about the perseverance of the saints and us being preserved, right, by God, it takes to think of we live like a, a dual life. Like there's our life of sin, right, and God is preserving us even in light of that, right? But also then there's our life of holiness, but rather, it's one life. It's one life by which we fall. And when we fall, we learn from our falls. And when we grow, we grow in, in maturity. And we grow from that in holiness. So we, we must not divorce us being preserved in Christ from the totality of a Christian life that's to be lived holy. A holy life. Now, saints, it doesn't mean that the saints do not fall into sin. We will all fall into sin in light of God preserving us. But what it does mean is that God will not forsake us. That God will never forsake those who are united to Christ. And therefore, we will endure in the faith and in holiness. Because faith and holiness are benefits that flow from our union with Christ. Again, <clears throat> this is why when the Reform said, uh, the perseverance of the saints. That didn't mean that the believers are saved because they persevere in their faith as if the believers continually merit God's grace and based off that they persevere. 
you don't merit God's grace, and based off of that, God gives you this, you know, this grace for you to persevere, but rather they persevere and are preserved by God's grace in Christ. It is God that person that uh, uh, that that holds you tight. So we, as the saints of God, then will indeed stumble in sin, and may sometimes saints even doubt that we are truly uh, in Christ, are united to Christ. But the beauty of our salvation is that we will never finally be overcome by sin or lose our salvation. Again, that's not to say, you know, the, the, the saying of once saved, always saved, although that's true, properly parsed out. But what we are saying is those who are saved live a life according to what it means to be saved. I mean, I remember a brother, I remember telling um, a brother, actually, I probably did from the pulpit. <laughs> So I told brothers and sisters, um, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if one is truly saved, a truly a believer of Christ, if they are not united to a visible body of the church. I remember one brother telling Pastor Antonio, well, I don't know, I wouldn't say that. But then, you know, rightfully so, Pastor Antonio said, but what does that type of Christian look like then? What, is the type, what does that mean for a Christian, right, to say they profess Christ, but not united to a visible body of Christ? And likewise, what does it mean, then, to be a Christian and not live in the way in which God has prescribed for us to live? We will stumble, right? But but also, saints, um, God will preserve us in holiness, and we will learn from, from, these, from our stumbling. <clears throat> so, saints, when we say that we are pre- being preserved in Christ, we mean exactly that. It's not a metaphor. Um, it's not an analogy, but it's actually literally. We are, we are being preserved in Christ, that believers endure in faith and holiness because Christ is faithful. Christ is faithful to maintain them in their faith and holiness. This is why saints, when we say we are saved in Christ, it's not merely just from the perspective of the past, but also the present as well. That presently Christ is holding you. That presently Christ is preserving you. So we can say that we have been saved in Christ and are currently being saved in Christ. I mean, think of the, the logic of, 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 of renouncing, or, or you might even say, I don't, even, I don't believe in being saved in Christ presently now. Think of that logic. You, you, essentially, what you are saying is that God unites to you, you know, Jesus Christ. He gives to you Christ. Christ lives, dies, and rises for you, right? You believe in that. And then that is sort of like the mechanism by which you can do whatever you want to do upon your own strength. If God in Christ is not preserving you, then you will lose your salvation, simply put. And, and that's the importance, right, of us affirming and accepting and amening within our minds and hearts, right, and, and, and words, yes, God, continue to preserve me. <laughs> Continue to uphold me, because if you at one moment removed your hand from me, I would not be saved. This is why Christ is interceding for us. This is why Christ at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, and, and by his presence alone, right? By his presence alone, um, he makes intercession. Biblical basis, John 6 37 to 39, everything that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everything that he has given me, I will, uh, uh, given me, I will lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. First Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete. Now this, I mean, this speaks of an ongoing, right? Preservation. An ongoing holding tight. Without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we being held tight? So that we, when Christ comes, will be without blame. Faithful is he who calls you. And also he will do it. That is a beautiful, I mean, verse 24, right? Faithful is he who calls you. And you might say, well, you know, I hear that from other others, right? Like, yeah, they, they say they're going to do this, but will they do it? And he also will do it. He also will do it. Second Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First Peter 4.23, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of, the, of God. And Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So again, saints, one of the benefits that we receive from Christ Jesus is that he will preserve us to the very end. He will preserve us till the very end. And here's an important truth to remember, saints, that we will persevere in Christ, not because of how strong of a grip that we have of Christ, and that is so essential for us to understand that the reason why we persevere in Christ is not because God graced us to such an extent to now we have like hope type strength to hold on to the triune God. But rather, it's because of Christ's grasp on us is unbreakable. Saints, we all, all of us, are, are, are that, are that, 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 that stem that's barely hanging on. All of us are. It is Christ, right? The very root, the foundation of our salvation. It is Him who gives us the Spirit so that we may hold on to Christ, but also that Christ may infallibly, unbreakably hold on to us. <clears throat> we can't say this about things in this world, right? The chicken in the fridge will go bad. <laughs> Uh, the soda, if opened, will never be that soda that you that you first drank when you first opened it. It will go bad, right? The various vitamins that we take for our bodies, our bodies will one day um, go to decay. But Christ is going to preserve us. He will hold us so that we may be fresh and ever new at the day of his coming. <clears throat> Now, where does our salvation end? We talked about perseverance. Now, where does our salvation end? Where does this go? Um, what is Christ saving us onto? What is he preserving us onto? This leads then to the doctrine of glorification. Glorification. The purpose of the ongoing work of Christ, saints, is to glorify us. The purpose of the ongoing work of Christ is to glorify us. Or we can say Christ is preserving us 
so that he may glorify us. Romans 8.29, we've read already. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we, so that he uh, would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, saints, all that we already are in Christ, elect, called, justified, sanctified, adopted, preserved, leads us to being conformed to Christ's image, which is our glorification. I mean, this is what the church fathers argued for, and we will get into in, in, in the coming weeks, is that the eternal Son became man so that man may be like the eternal Son. I mean, this is the reason of foreknowledge, right, of predestination. Paul says, all of these things is to get you to be conformed to Christ's image. That is the reason why you are saved. So that you may not look like you. So that you can look like Christ. So that Christ may elevate you, right? So that you may be like him. Just as our being preserved in Christ is us being presently saved in Christ, our glorification in Christ is the will be saved aspect of salvation. Our glorification is the will be saved, the final aspect of our salvation. That is to say, our salvation then, although from a virtual standpoint, is complete. From a virtual standpoint, it is complete. It is not fully realized until we reach the end for which we were united to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that is a full realization of our full conformity unto Christ, both body and soul. I mean, at the, at the, at the first death, right, once, once you die, your soul will be glorified. But will your body be glorified? And you're not meant to be a, 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 a soul apart from the body. You're meant to be a body and soul composite being. So when we talk about the full realization of salvation, it's going to be when the trumpet blows, Christ comes, and the dead are raised. Then, both body and soul, you will be glorified. Then, body and soul, the full realization of that which is accurately true and right from a virtual standpoint, will be realized from a physiological standpoint. We will outwardly, right, be shown as sons and daughters of God. John Murray says, glorification is the complete and final redemption of the whole person. When in the integrity of the body and soul, the people of God will be conformed to the image of the risen, exalted, and glorified Redeemer. When the very body of their humiliation will be conformed to the body of Christ's glory. When your, when your bodily and lowly selves will be transformed into the likeness of the heavenly, to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Glorification then is that which we hope to be then. Glorification is what you should long for. It is a fully sanctified person. A fully sanctified and holy person where sin will not be a threat to you. A fully sanctified person because sin and sin will not be a threat to you. And friends, the, scripture, the scriptures, they speak of this grand promise of or for the saints. Consider what the word says concerning your future saints. First Corinthians 15, 
verses 51-54, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we, we shall be all changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass, and the saying which is written, death has swallowed up in victory. I like to think of it like this. It is at that moment, when we put on the imperishable, when we put on the, the immortal, when we fully put on Jesus Christ, and we are fully divinized, then we can look at the grave and laugh at it. Because death itself is the final enemy. It is the ultimate enemy. So then when we are raised, right, we can look back and we can scoff at death and we can echo the words of St. Paul, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? It is at that moment then when we will fully echo the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because he, first and foremost, has realized it. Because he's been raised from the dead. This is why Paul refers to Christ as the first fruits of a royal harvest, which is us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we are also eagerly wait for the for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body. You know, we think of, and this has been said many times again, I'm not going to harp on this point, but when we think of the glorification of our bodies, you know, I would like to think I'm 6'5", you know, 280, you know, ripped, but also kind of buff, um, nice haircut, you know, square jaw, all these other things, right? A, a beard, which I want. No, 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 we don't think on those terms, right? We think of our being itself. We will be immutable. Jesus Christ takes us to where Adam fell to take us. So when we are raised, right, we are raised to a point where we don't say we are like unto Adam, but we say we are like unto Christ. We will not bear the image of the man of dust. We will bear the image of the man of heaven, of Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful text, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, for it teaches us the truth that has been run through, right, all the different aspects and benefits of our being united to Christ, all of what we, all of uh, that uh, that I've been said, so uh, been saying thus far, all of the adopt, all the benefits of Christ, first and foremost, happen to Jesus Christ. So we are justified because Christ was justified. We are sanctified because Christ is sanctified. We will be raised because Christ was raised. We will be glorified because Christ was glorified. So then likewise, we can say that our glorification is really our participation in Christ's glorification. Just as our justification participates in Christ's justification. So, in other words, for the Father to unjustify you, he would have to unjustify his Son. That's what that means. So our glorification then is an extension, right, of Christ's own glorification, it's a participation in his glorification. Again, we so eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly condition into conformity with his glorious body. In other words, our lowly earthly bodies 
will be transformed and conformed to Christ's glorious resurrection body. So we can say then that what began with Jesus over 2,000 years ago has now a, a rippling effect throughout the ages. That at one moment, we call this the Christ event, at one moment, that single moment when, when, when history once again is turned around, the same experience of Christ will be the same experience of ours. Christ was raised and glorified. There's a reason why the disciples could not recognize him. We will be raised and then glorified. So Christ's resurrection and glorification then, saints, we can see as, is it just a preview of something that doesn't happen merely just to him in, a, in isolation, but rather happens to those who are united to him. So when you read next time the account of the resurrection of Christ, yes, think of Christ first and foremost, but then you say to yourself, this is actually an extension of my own resurrection. This is an extension of, of, of my resurrection, of my glorious body, right? That everything that we are will be buried back and be left back in the tomb. There is a reason why then the loincloths were left in the tomb. It's a, it's a representation of the old man with respect to ourselves, right? Being left in the tomb and being raised to the newness of life, right? <clears throat> so resurrection and glorification then is something that we all look forward to. Let me just give you a few more examples of this in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Father of the Lord are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to the other. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are children of God now, God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Why can't you see Christ for, for, who, for, 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 for how he is? Because your corporeal eyes will be glorified. Because your corporeal eyes will be glorified, you will be like him, and like will see like. Could think of it like that. Like we'll see like. <clears throat> Philippians 1 6, for I am confident in this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This verse really encompasses everything that I've been saying. That he who began a good work in you will persevere, uh, preserve you, and he'll preserve you until an end of glorification by which you will be like the eternal Son of God in his flesh. Other versions of this may say, he who began a good work in you will complete it. They don't change the word perfect to complete or completion. ESV might say that. You might read that in various versions. But I like the word perfect better. For perfect speaks of the nature of the thing that is completed. Again, perfect speaks to the nature of the thing completed. Um, um, I'm very ashamed to say this, but... Um, I need help at putting things together. And Brother Scott is my go-to to helping put things together. So I remember we were putting a couch together. And, uh, you know, I'm the type of person, I'm, I jam it in. If it fits, we're good. So from my vantage point, I can say that the thing's completed, but it's not perfect. Scott, though, says, Brother we can't do it that way. <laughs> um, this screw doesn't go in there, right? And so he 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 looks he looks then at the manual, 
Because the manual tells us how the thing, when it's completed, right, um, is supposed to look. It will then be perfect, right? So when we think of us being glorified, right, it's not merely just we will be complete, but we will be perfected, right? Not not just like we're complete, but man, we still have a little bit of sin in us or whatever, you know. That's what Roman Catholics think. That's why you go to pur- purgatory. No, what we're saying is we will be perfect, in every sense of the word. <clears throat> because we will finally be outwardly united to Jesus Christ physically. Now, when we say we are perfect saints, it doesn't mean that we are already perfected in Christ. But what we're saying is on that, on that great day when Christ comes for his people, we are raised from the dead. What we're saying is the outward demonstration and confirmation of our union with Christ. Right? That, that itself is the perfection of us, just as when Christ, who was already perfect, who was already righteous, right, when he raised from the dead, it was an outward demonstration of that which was already true. Similar with us. When we are raised from the dead, it will be an outward demonstration of that which is already true, and we will look at our final enemy that has kept us in the grave, hopefully not for centuries, <laughs> But for, you know, a couple of years, hopefully Christ comes back for us. If we do die, you know, whenever, we will look at death again. And we will laugh at death. And we'll be raptured up with our Christ. We will be caught up with our Christ. <clears throat> Saints, all this to say is that currently, right now, you are being preserved for an end that goes beyond our imagination. You're being preserved for an end that goes beyond even the way in which I can articulate words to you. My words to you cannot capture the very thing and the and the event by which it by the very event that will take place when that last trumpet sounds. But I know that it will happen because he is faithful and he will hold me fast. So, saints, when we talk about us on this earth and we are to think heavenly thoughts, uh, I hope that this brought a brand new perspective to when we say. Uh, think heavenly, think heavenly minded, uh, because we do have a grand and great promise to look forward to. And God continues to preserve us even now. Let's pray that he preserves us.